to each one this morning and greetings in Christ's name. I want to also welcome everyone who's here. I just look back over the audience this morning and, and the house is nicely filled. It's good to see that again. It's been good to be here this morning. I trust that we have been encouraged. I think I always enjoy when we get into the, the 11th chapter of Hebrews, just uh, an encouragement to see some of those uh, great men of faith from the Old Testament. But one thing, just a number of years ago, quite a few years ago, I was blessed when someone brought out the, the, the type of characters that are mentioned in, in the chapter there. And one of them that stands out to me is Samson. Samson is a hero of faith. And we may question that a little bit. How, how does that fit in? We know that Samson was a selfish, maybe spoiled kind of man. How does that feel for a hero of faith? Some of the things he did, just irrational. But as I think about that, and as I think of Samson being named as a hero of faith, I consider that something must have happened in his life when he was maybe there doing the work of an animal, pushing the millstones. God could work in a man like Samson. He can, work in, he can work in anyone to make us men and women of faith. And that just stands out to me as a blessing. This morning for a message, I maybe could say I'm just stepping back a step from our Sunday school lesson. I would like to think this morning about proofs of God's existence. And it's not that I am coming here this morning thinking that this is an area that uh, we as a church are struggling in. As I consider our congregation here, um, I believe that many, if, if not all of us, have been brought up being, being taught about God. And it's been a blessing, just um, been ingrained into us um, that there is a God and that he's real, he's alive, he's present. And uh, I was grappling a bit this past week. I didn't know where I was going to go for a message. But the verse came to my mind, and I, when, when I, when this verse came to my mind, I didn't know where it came from, but it was the verse, but without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And when I looked it up, I saw it was Hebrews eleven six, which we spent some time on this morning. And Brother Eugene um, brought out the point there, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, 
And he, he explained that as that God is who he says he is. And I uh, appreciated that thought. But I, I guess I'm stepping a back, back a step from there. And we need to believe that God is, that God exists. As we think of coming to God, it's impossible to come to God w- without believing he exists. But in our world today, there's a lot of people that are questioning the existence of God or trying to deny the existence of God. And it, it's being pushed into people at a young age in, in the schools as they consider the existence of all things, the origin of things, and some of the theories that are out there. But also, I believe that as they try to implant within the young people a confusion of who they are, uh, gender confusion, species confusion, that they're trying to say, it's up to you to decide. They're making themselves, they're trying to make man at the top. And, and, and putting God out of the picture. In Isaiah 42, verse 8, it says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another neither my praise to graven images. God says, he simply states it, I am the Lord. He says, I am God. And as we, it's a simple statement, very simple statement. And as we read in the word of God, I I don't believe that God is trying to prove his existence. The word of God assumes God's existence. And... And I believe that that is, um, that is where we need to be. We just need to understand God's existence. God doesn't need to prove his existence because it is evident. And as I, as I say that, again, I bring out that we have been taught from little on up about God. But I recognize there are people in our world who have been taught something much different. And for them to simply just lay it out in front of them, just got to believe God. Um, It's maybe a little more of a challenge for them when it's been ingrained into them throughout education and and even before going to formal education. So this morning, I I feel it's a uh, getting down to pretty basic. Um, Things that I don't think are new, but um, I trust that as we look at proofs of God's existence, that we can become more aware of seeing God in, in various things in life and that our lives would glorify him through that. I have three proofs this morning of God's existence, and you could probably name countless more. Um... But the first one I have is the natural world proves the existence of God. And we can read in Genesis 1, 
of the creation of the world. I want to read Genesis 1.1 and then make some references throughout the, the rest, uh, part of the chapter there. But Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. I think it's evident we all know that that is questioned, challenged, uh, denied by many people in our world today, but a simple statement there. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. As we look, as we think of that, um, we, we look down through the passage there, and we see the various things that he created. Verse 3 mentions that he created light. Let there be light, and there was light. I believe Brother Matt preached a message on light uh, some months ago. And uh, I was also thinking water is included in the scripture here. Brother Jay preached about water here a few weeks ago. But yes, in verse 3 is light. Verse 6 says that he made a firmament, uh, created a firmament, a division of the waters between the earth and the sky. Verse 9 says he divided the land from the water. So I would have the understanding that the earth was covered with water, but he brought the dry land out of the water. Verse 11 uh, mentions the plants that he created, or that he created the plants. Verse 14, the sun, the moon, the stars. And verse 20, the marine life and the birds. Verse 24, the land animals. And verse 26, on the sixth day, he created mankind. So here it, it just lays out to us, God as the creator, and that the many things around us that we see, that they are created by God. Now, I came across here a few weeks ago a term may be familiar to you, but it was, I think, new to me, the term first cause, that there needs to be a first cause. So to, to think about that, I use the example of an ear of corn. We've been enjoying sweet corn out of our garden. And you may ask, as if you often we take it for granted. We eat an ear of corn, we enjoy it. But you get to thinking, where does that ear of corn come from? Well, if you raised it in your garden, you pulled it off of the stalk. So the ear of corn came from the stalk. Well, where does the stalk come from? The stalk comes from a seed, which is actually off of an ear of corn. It comes from a seed that was planted, placed in the ground. The nutrients fed it. A stalk grew up, the ear of corn. And that cycle goes over and over. But if you continue tracing it back, which we can't possibly trace it back the whole way, but somewhere there had to be that first plant or first kernel of corn, I would imagine a plant, which takes us back to, well, where did that first plant come from? And that takes us back to what was termed as the first cause, which is God. Here it says, God created. 
the only reasonable or intelligent answer to where things came from is that there is, there was, a creator. As we consider some of the theories of how things came into being, theories of evolution, my mind goes to various things, man-made things that we, that we have. I think of a, a car. Most of us would have come to church this morning in some sort of a vehicle, automobile, and they're actually a, a fairly, in my mind, a fairly complex machine. There's a lot of parts there's a lot of pieces within some of the parts. There's more parts. And so try to imagine your, your car that you came in this morning. How did that car come into existence? Did it just happen? Is it possible that just a bunch of parts could have come together and, and made a car? So as we ponder the earth, creation, and all things, the complexity of, of many things of nature, it, it stands to reason that there was a creator, a creator God, at the beginning, who created all things. It's also evident that the creator is continuing in the things that are created. He's continuing to be present. This past week, we, um, we took a, an old incubator and got the thing going and, and ready, and we put several dozen chicken eggs into that incubator. And it's a marvel, if you consider it, that out of that chicken egg, uh, placed under conditions that are right, uh, the right temperatures, the right humidity, um, turning them, various things, that out of that egg, if things go right, will come a chick. And I, I also consider the marvel of human reproduction, the, um, the forming of a little baby, and the conception, and the birth, and just, it's miraculous. It's amazing. It's something that God alone could do, and God continues to be present as life continues on. We also, as we consider the natural world around us, uh, my mind is also drawn to the heavenly bodies which proclaim the existence of God. Psalm chapter 19 is a passage that we um, often look at as we consider the heavenly bodies. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare 
the glory of God. And the firmament showeth his handiwork. Okay, declaring. They proclaim that there is a God. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven, and his circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. We'll stop reading there. But the heavenly bodies, a couple things I want to point out, is the power of the sun. If you consider the sun, um, I didn't check this out, 93 million miles away from earth, right? Is that right? 93 million miles away, the sun. And to think that if the sun was not in the sky, or if the earth was too far from the sun, that it would get extremely cold here on this earth. And, and just also the effects as the earth turns and it's, as we, our part of the earth has turned away from the sun, it cools down, which we're, we're thankful for, especially this time of the year. Tremendous power of the sun. But I also think of the orderliness as we think of the stars, turning to that, the orderliness of the constellations, as you look up to the night sky, um, first of all, just, just seeing the many thousands of stars that we're able to see, um, just a testimony of, of an almighty God. But then the orderliness of the constellations, and here again, I didn't look into numbers, but I know these stars are not real close together. But as we look up there, they appear somewhat close to each other. But night after night and year after year, those stars stay in the same position. You continue to see the Big Dipper year after year. It's not like one star is just kind of traveling out here off on its own thing, but rather Somehow, by an all-wise God, they continue in their courses. Another proof of the existence of God is a transformed life. That's a tremendous proof. We know of the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. A man was created to serve God, turned away from God, was separated from God, cast out of the garden. And that, that connection with God was, was marred. This morning we looked at the many, or we looked at men. Or it was in our lesson, men and women who looked forward to that renewed connection, might you say, with God. And then Christ came, his work of redemption here for mankind. As we think of the word transformed, 
Romans chapter 12, uh, the first two verses in Romans 12. Could almost quote those. I think I'll read them. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God calls us to be transformed, to become a new creature. We think of the new birth. Jesus said to Nicodemus, ye must be born again, which was a marvel to Nicodemus. And as we look at that, humanly speaking, that new birth is truly amazing. In Acts chapter 9, I'm not going to turn there, but we have Saul, who's headed for Damascus. Before his conversion, he's headed for Damascus to persecute the followers of Christ. And we know what happened. He was struck down. He was, there was a great light that shined on him. And he went into the city. Ananias came and laid his hands on him. He prayed for him. And sometime later, Saul left Damascus, no longer a persecutor of the followers of Christ, but he was a preacher of the gospel. There was a transforming work that took place in his life. I think, too, of Peter, a rough, maybe kind of crude fisherman. But Jesus took him, and he made him a man of God. He changed the life of Peter. This morning, could you, could I, by sheer willpower, have made the change in your life that has happened through Christ? I think we all know the obvious answer to that. No, there's not a chance that we could have made the changes that God has done within our lives without him, which testifies of God being present, being active today. Maybe you think this morning of the most unlikely candidate to, to be a Christian. I don't know who would come to your mind. Um, maybe someone you meet from day to day or week to week or whatever it is. Maybe as you think of uh, the conditions of our world, maybe it's a prominent figure that you think of uh, that it, it, it's hard for you to envision that person to be a Christian. But do you believe that God could transform that person into a saint? Do we believe that? And I think every one of us would say, yes, we do. We believe that God can take anyone, any person, no matter how ungodly they are, and if they will but open their hearts to God, that God could work a transforming work in their lives. And and we say that because we believe in God and his almighty power. We all know 
people who have been pulled from despair, from addiction, from just a, a life of ungodliness. And that powerful work of God is a powerful testimony of a living God. And as I consider that testimony, you know, God has done a mighty work within our hearts in bringing us to himself. himself. And that work is a testimony, is a picture to the world around us. And my challenge to us is that we would not allow that testimony to become marred by allowing things that are not of God within our lives. The third proof I have of the existence of God is the voice of God. And as his people, we hear his voice through his word. I'll turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3 for just a couple verses. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Scripture is the inspiration of God, and the inspiration of God is the words of God. So, as we read God's word, we hear his voice speaking to us. And, and that is a confirmation to us as his people, a confirmation of his presence. I believe that God's word also can speak to the ungodly when they are confronted with God's word. Um, I remember here... Um, just came to my mind right now, but I think a number of months ago, there was John 3.16, just the reference on our sign out here. Is that right? It said John 3.16 out there. Um, I don't know that the verse was put out there, but as, as people see those verses, and this can be ungodly people, but God can speak through his word to people who don't know him. But God's voice is not limited just to his word and what we read in scripture. Hebrews chapter 2, the first four verses, says, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his will. So God has many ways of speaking. Here it speaks of signs and wonders and divers miracles Gifts of the Holy Ghost. Um, these signs and wonders I think of as things that are beyond natural occurrences. 
and likely it's referencing signs and wonders that were performed by Jesus and his disciples. And I believe there are also signs and wonders that happen at times from day to day. Um, Possibly we may hear of them more in settings where the gospel is not as free, where um, through mission work and so on. But uh, things that, yes, beyond the natural occurrences, that can just testify that there is a power greater than man working. I'm also drawn to Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, how the Apostles, they were filled with the Holy Ghost, and they began to speak in other tongues. As I think of things beyond natural occurrences, my mind is also drawn to to things of nature that um, are are ways that God would speak, um, things that are not just normal everyday occurrences, um, catastrophes, you might say. And I'd like to read Psalm 29 in, in thinking of how God uses his voice or how he speaks through things of nature. <clears throat> Psalm 29, Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty, give unto the Lord glory and strength, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars. Yea, the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon. He maketh them also to skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian like a young unicorn. The voice of the Lord divideth the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shaketh the wilderness. The Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord maketh the hinds to calve, and discovereth the forests. And in his temple doth everyone speak of his glory. The Lord sitteth upon the flood. Yea, the Lord sitteth king forever. The Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. I'm drawn to um, phrases like, The God of glory thundereth. Um, The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. He breaketh the cedars. Um, This past week, we had some flooding. Um, and, And as I was leaving work the one day, uh, drove through some water, and noticed in, in a lot of Mark's um, pasture there was flooded, and I noticed there was a sizable tree that somehow it had broken uh, apart. The top part of it was down, and it was split down through. But as I consider Maybe even some stronger um, disasters of earthquakes and of, of greater flooding. 
that has happened in, in parts of the country. Um, tornadoes, storms, things like that. I believe that God does use those ways to speak. And I think of how at times a calamity is faced and how people are drawn to, to recognize God and to cry out to him when they realize that they are at the end and that they, they can do nothing. And mine was also drawn to um, years ago. I was... I don't know if I was a teenager yet or not, but there was a, a man in the church we were in, and he mentioned about how at some point in his life, I think it was a thunderstorm, must have been pretty close and pretty, pretty powerful. He said he wasn't a Christian at that time, and he thought that, the re- that Christ was going to return. Um, he, that's where his mind went to, and I believe that God was using that storm to speak to this man's heart. <clears throat> Moving a little bit from the, the um, natural disasters and how God can speak through those things, I would also like to think about the condition of our world today. Proverbs 21, verse 1, I can quote the first part of that verse, but uh, turn to it so I can get the whole verse. Proverbs 21, 1, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. I consider the the conditions, the unrest in our world today, and just um, things that are going on among the leaders of our world, and um, among some appointed leaders and other great men of the world. And I believe that that verse really applies here, that God is present, that God is working, that he is directing in the affairs of the nations, and he's allowing unrest to happen. And as he is doing that, I firmly believe that God is trying to speak. And this is a little bit of my thinking here, but I'm afraid that there are many Christians who may not be listening And they would like to change the world. They would like to politically change the world. Not recognizing the division between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. Not recognizing that when there are leaders in place that they don't like, that God has placed them in leadership. And I believe that as God is trying to speak through the turmoil that is faced in our world, I believe that we as his people need to let him speak. And I'm not sure what all God 
is trying to say through the unrest in our world. But I think we can break it down in a small way, maybe it's a big way, and say that the unrest in the world is an attempt of God to call men to Christ, to call men to repentance. And we do know that in parts of the world, parts of the country, um, that there is revival happening, that God is speaking, that there are people hearing him, and that God is being heard through the unrest. And I say, you know, none of us like to hear, to feel the unrest. But if God can speak through these things, glory to his name, and, and may his voice be heard, I, don't, I wouldn't trade it for uh, any amount of peace in our world to, to silence the voice of God. So this morning, again, I, I'm not indicating that I believe that we as people here are questioning the existence of God. I, um, in my life, I don't believe I ever really, truly questioned the existence of God. Um, I, there was a time when I um, maybe kind of put it there as a question that really wasn't a question, does that make sense? Uh, but something to consider more so. And I'm thankful for what God has allowed to me in teaching, in an upbringing where, where um, it's been understood that there is a God. It's been taught. But I trust, too, that as we are confronted in our world with people who would like to believe something different or who uh, maybe really do believe something different because of what they have been taught. I trust that we, as God's people, would have the wisdom to, to just lay out in simplicity and um, point people to God, to the truth of an almighty God, and... Um, and also that we would be challenged as we see the evidences of God, that we would be challenged in our faith in him, drawn to a closer walk with him. Let's kneel for prayer.